So as this is a meditation one day retreat, as I give my first talk, feel free to sit comfortably in the meditation posture if you wish. You can close your eyes, you can begin meditating either on the sound of my words, listen to what I say, or if you're already experienced, you can follow your own meditation technique. This is the end of the three-month rains retreat. Some of you were here for our retreat at the beginning of the rains retreat, that one-day retreat. So if you were, it's a good opportunity to look back on the last three months and see how your Dhamma practice has been going. Some people maybe haven't done any meditation for three months, perhaps. Others may have tried to practice regularly every day. If you have, you'll notice some days peaceful, some days not. Some days <clears throat> you have enthusiasm want to practice some meditation, do chanting, other days not. Some days too busy, some days not, and so on. When we practice meditation, we're constantly coming back to our own mind, contemplating the Buddha's teachings, the path or the way out of suffering and stress. So if you keep returning to your mind every day through the practice of mindfulness in particular and then wise reflection and contemplation, you'll constantly be reviewing, getting to know your own state of mind every day. And over time you'll gain some wisdom, some understanding from that. You'll see that there are those days when the mind doesn't settle down very easily, very restless. Those days when it's not. And you also might see the relationship between many other aspects of your life and your state of mind. So how you're spending your time at work and then your social life, your family life, your relationships, your pastimes, all these things, what you've been saying, what you've been doing, affect your state of mind. The different experiences we have as human beings affect our state of mind. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant. We call this the, uh, or they call these changing experiences, the eight worldly dhammas. 
the four pairs of winds that blow us in our lives, blow upon our, our minds. And that's gain and loss, praise and blame, status and power and the loss of it, and then pleasure and pain. If we practice meditation often, regularly, then you're seeing the effects of these kinds of experiences which all human beings have on your own mind. How easy it is to get lost in the successes and achievements, the gains of life, and to get depressed by the losses. How easy it is to be affected by the words of other people, the praise, the kind words, the nice words we are attracted to, and then the blame, the criticism we are averse to, dislike. Our status in our job, in our family, in society goes up and down with our life situation and how that affects us. And then the pleasurable and painful experiences of daily living, just things like your health, good health tends to intoxicate us and we become subtly or even very obviously happy because our health is good, the body feels good. But the more we get attached to that, then the more we suffer if we fall into ill health or we experience some pain or difficulty with the body. Or our general lifestyle. When things are going well, we feel good and there's pleasurable experiences nice things to see and places to go, things to do. But when we don't get what we want, unpleasant experiences, how easily we get put off and become a little bit sad or upset. So these four worldly, or four pairs of worldly winds are another sign of where our meditation is at? How is our mind being affected by the experience of life? And our meditation practice is giving us skills and a means, a way to deal with the uncertainties of life. The first benefit of meditation is always one of calming us down mentally and physically. You practice meditation, say today, the beginning of the practice is always just to settle the physical body down, both by finding a posture where you feel reasonably stable, even if you have a little pain, that's ordinary, but not too much pain, but you're not so relaxed that you just fall asleep. 
You need to put effort into your posture. You also need to get to know your physical body, your posture, so to use your mind, your mental awareness to actually observe and survey your physical posture as you're sitting, just to relax your muscles, any tension in the body. And then to bring your attention to the meditation object. So if you're using the breath to really find the breath, that feeling of the breath going in and out at the tip of your nostrils, Start to find that feeling and focus on that feeling. And to develop the effort and the patience and the willingness to do that. Understanding that it is something that's good for us. And then we get the first benefit which is physically and mentally we start to relax a bit. But it does take time. If you've been rushing around in your life the last few days, last few weeks, then to just come and sit down for a few minutes, well, it might take a while before you do settle down. So for this one-day period, you have to keep re-establishing your awareness, keep going back to the breath, and be patient enough to give your mind time to calm down by returning to the meditation object be putting, able to put up with the distractions from your own mind, your own thoughts and moods, sensations. And then the external distractions, the noises and things going on around you. You'd be willing to settle your mind, put, put everything aside, put away your thoughts of business and family and plans, just focus on your mind right now in the present moment. The other benefit <clears throat> you gain from your meditation is understanding wisdom. Especially if you practice meditation regularly so over the course of one day, sitting, walking meditation through the, this day, and then through your life, if you keep meditating regularly, you'll start to understand or get to know your own mind, your own self be better. If we really want to experience the end of suffering, liberation, freedom from stress, worries, anxiety and fear, then we have to get to know our minds. Where do these things come from? How do they arise? And how to deal with them? Just like a doctor dealing with any illness has to know through observing and researching the illness of the patient has to get to know what the symptoms are, how they come up, how they present themselves. The more that doctor studies the illness, the more they'll get to know 
what it is, what its nature is and how to cure it. If you just take a guess, you maybe get it wrong. But if you observe closely and investigate more closely, then you really get to understand the nature of that illness and then you can apply the right remedy. So meditation practice gives us that method for observing ourselves. By calming the mind down, then we also get to see the process of our own mind and how suffering arises, where it comes from, its nature. What you'll notice is when you practice meditation, whether it's in a monastery like this, situation like this, or at home, especially if you just began practicing meditation on a regular basis, you'll find you quickly might gain a little bit of insight and calm and peace. And you'll notice it's different from before when you didn't meditate, you'll notice you have a little bit more ease of mind, more contentment, more composure. But then as you carry on practicing over time, maybe many weeks, months, even years, you perhaps feel like you don't make any real progress. It's all just kind of going along and don't, you don't seem to get any deeper into your meditation or experience any more peace than before. <clears throat> it's a bit like when you build a house or a building, say a building like this hall, when you build a hall or a house, quickly they put up the frame and the roof and very quickly you see the shape of the building that's coming and it's like a big change on the landscape. You can see the difference from where before there was an empty space. Now you have a building. But the actual finishing of that building, all the interior decoration and the walls and the windows, all the different fittings, takes a long time. Much longer than just the quick building of the frame. Meditation is like that. You practice a little bit and you can see some quick results but sometimes some difference. And then it all seems to level off and you wonder when's it ever going to improve? Doesn't seem to be any improvement here. That's because you're working on the interior finishing of your mind. Those minor details which are quite subtle, quite refined. And you can't expect to see big progress, leaps and bounds and great refined states arising all the time and deep insights into the nature of reality arising all the time. Because you're working on the refined details day by day. And maybe much of that work is quite ordinary. Just learning to establish mindfulness awareness in the present moment and to know when you're sitting meditation that now I am sitting 
you know your posture, to know the breath. When you're walking meditation, to know, oh, now I'm walking, to know your feet touching the ground. Constantly bringing your mind back to the present moment. You know, that's the more ordinary but very important essential work of meditation is to keep re-establishing mindfulness in the present moment. Sounds even quite boring, repetitive, not very inspiring. So we have to have all the virtues and supports to help us with that repetitive practice of learning to establish mindfulness. You need the patience, the willingness to be patient and then to keep bringing up effort over and over again. You need the willingness, you actually have some desire, some motivation to keep practicing. That comes from faith and hearing the Dhamma and meeting with those who've practiced who can share the benefits of the practice so that you remind yourself of the value of this practice. And you need the quality of kindness and compassion for yourself and for others in order to keep going and to keep working on those fine details of daily practice, dealing with different states of mind, uh, different mood swings up and down, happy, sad, And so on. You need to have the willingness and the loving care to take care of your own mind. Just like a parent takes care of a child, it tends to be fairly automatic. They naturally do that job, even though it's tiring and exhausting sometimes. They just do it. They do what they have to do to feed and look after that child. We often neglect our own minds, but we have to learn to do that with our own minds. Look after our mind, not neglect it. Keep returning to our mind, keep returning to our mindfulness practice through the day and through our life. Keep observing the states of mind that are arising and taking care of our minds. So you're observing particularly those thoughts that fall, that lead your mind to fall into suffering. What we call mental defilements, kilesa, and negative emotions. When you're meditating, developing mindfulness, you're observing those, you're getting to know them better. And you're seeing the suffering they cause, all the different thoughts rooted in different aspects of Greed and ambition and ego, aversion, irritation, frustration, fear and worry, dullness, doubt. They have many faces, many ways they come up. But we call them kilesa, or in the practice of meditation, we often refer to them as nivarana hindrances, obstacles to the development of wholesome states of mind, their opposite. 
So the wholesome states of mind are what you're developing, what you're cultivating in your practice. You're cultivating your mind, looking after your mind by cultivating mindfulness and wisdom, effort, energy, kindness, compassion, generosity. All the positive emotions and the skillful qualities are what we bring up to counter the negative ones. As we practice, this is the skill we're learning, the, the ability to turn our own mind around in different situations, whether we're on our own or with other people, we're meditating or we're not. We are developing that skill of looking after the mind in all situations, guarding over it, watching over it. And it's from that, nurturing the mind with the skills of the practice of mindfulness and care and attention, and then the fruits start to come. The mind and the body start to relax more. And we understand things more, so we don't let our mind get into so much stress and suffering as before. You can see in some situations we have good mindfulness. Traditionally we, we say people have good mindfulness when they are in a, say a dangerous or risky situation. So they give examples like somebody climbing a mountain. They put one foot wrong, they can fall from the mountain and die. So people climbing mountains find they have very good mindfulness often. It's necessary. Or if you're walking through the bush and you meet a snake, your mindfulness can come up very strong, very quick, because there's a danger, you become very careful. But these situations obviously are special circumstances which in, in support the arising of mindfulness. So you can see the more normal times in our life, it's the opposite, when we're more comfortable, relaxed in our routines, habits of you know work and family and going here and going there, at those times we're likely to have the least mindfulness. It's like if you ask the uh, traffic police, you know, when do most traffic accidents happen, it's not when people are driving at, on the freeway at high speed, because they tend to be more careful then, generally. It's actually in the suburbs where people are driving in the middle of the day at 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers per hour in their own neighborhood. And they're so used to where, where they're driving, they're not thinking anymore about the driving, they're thinking about many other things. And so they miss something on the road and they have a crash. Your mindfulness often brings its biggest result is when you bring it up in more ordinary situations. So this is why the Buddha gave us the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness to be developed at all times in all aspects of our life, not even just meditating. And bringing up mindfulness of this body and this mind, our feelings, our thoughts, in all situations when we're walking from one place to another, when we're eating, when we're falling asleep, when we're having a bath or going to the toilet, when we're with our friend, 
when we're shopping, when we're going to work. All these more routine situations are where we can really gain some mindfulness and improve our mindfulness. Even meditation like this, if you're practicing for many hours through today, you'll start to get into a habit where you come in maybe and you sit down or in the walking meditation period you go out and you walk. And because you've done it before, the mind knows I'm sitting now or I'm walking and then it turns off from the meditation and starts thinking again. Goes off to distraction very easily. So it's at these times we really heighten our effort or increase our effort. Put in a little bit more effort, be a bit, little bit more patient to keep gently turning the mind back to the present moment. If you're sitting meditation, then back to the breath, your posture, the breath. If you're walking, then back to the posture of walking, the feet touching the ground. And the willingness to keep doing that every period. This is where you'll help to get some consistency that helps to bring up strong mindfulness. Little by little, that mindfulness will join just like the drops of water from the tap. That gradually you open the tap, the drops of water drop more and more fast, faster and faster until they become a continuous flow of water from the tap. If you keep being willing to bring up mindfulness little by little through your meditation period, then it's those moments of mindfulness join together and they become a steady stream of mindfulness. The more that happens and the more you have a chance to really understand some of the deeper teachings the Buddha was talking about. He said to contemplate the way that this body and mind is anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. The only way we can see impermanence, say, the changing nature of body and mind in this world, is when the mind is steady enough, mindfulness is constant enough to know it, to see it. If your mind is constantly moving from one thing to the next, losing its mindfulness, well then you won't see the impermanence, even though it's showing itself all the time. But if you do practice mindfulness, you start to develop this more constant knowing of your mind and body in the present moment. You can't help but start to notice how things change, how your thoughts and change, your moods and your feelings change, your posture changes, the sensations in your body change, the experiences of the world around you change, what other people say and do in the weather and things going on, they're constantly in a state of change. The mindfulness leads, naturally leads on to investigation of Dhamma, contemplating the truth and observing and witnessing truth, and just the truth of change, uncertainty, and how your mind can trick you, change you. Know, you have a, an opinion or a 
thought come up about something and a, a while later it's all changed. It's gone, it's either gone away completely or just moved into a new opinion. Maybe a different opinion about the very same thing. If you didn't have mindfulness, you wouldn't even realize that. You just follow along. But when you practice mindfulness, it exposes or shows you what's happening. So Ajahn Chah used to say, just contemplate, it's not sure. As you meditate, you establish mindfulness on the breath and different thoughts and feelings come up. Just use it like a mantra, it's not sure. Maybe in the beginning of the meditation day you feel, oh, it's very difficult to sit still, I'm so restless, I'm thinking a lot. Just apply this, it's not sure. Maybe later on you feel more relaxed, more calm. Or maybe you start feeling calm, later you feel more restless, but it's not sure. Maybe you like something about this retreat and then later on you don't like something about it, not sure. Our mind is telling us the truth all the time, it's not sure. Our moods come and go, thoughts arise, pass away, not sure. Maybe you're sitting meditation and you have some pain in your leg but before you move or get worried about it, you just practice mindfulness and observe that pain and know the pain. Oh, there's some feeling there, it feels like this. And then ask yourself, hmm, is this certain? Maybe it's not sure as well. You carry on sitting, if you're patient enough, maybe that pain just disappears all by itself. You go back to a state where you feel very comfortable, not sure. Maybe as you meditate, you know, your pain, sometimes the pain and discomfort seems like our worst enemy. You know, I hate this body, my knees, my back, giving me all this trouble, I can't meditate, too much pain. But it's not sure, maybe that pain actually is teaching you to be more mindful of your body. Sometimes it's reminding us that we do need to adjust our posture. Other times it's reminding us that we're just getting older and this is the nature of a human body, aging. It's not sure. Maybe that pain is actually helping us become more mindful. It's helping us to see our own anger. So instead of being an enemy, the pain is actually helping us. So not sure. As you become more used to the practice and your mindfulness, if you keep putting effort in, you might feel more relaxed, more calm, experience more contentment and ease in body and mind. But again, you can't cling on to that too much because maybe that's not sure. It changes again, we lose it again, come out of the state of peace. But that not sure reflection, that's wisdom, that's insight. And that can actually take us to an even deeper peace. So even contemplating how the peaceful state where sati or mindfulness has developed into samadhi, where your mind feels very calm and stable. And just contemplating that, observing how that 
maybe fades and you come out of that state it's not sure but that insight brings you an even deeper state of peace more stable the mind might actually enter some deeper state where just for a few moments or for many moments just looking back at itself and this body and mind in a new light just saying oh it's not sure it's unstable it's not the real thing to hold on to or cling on to In the end, what we are aiming to develop through this meditation is insight, wisdom. Contemplating to see the same things that the Buddha saw. It's this insight that liberates the mind from the negative qualities that cause us suffering. From the greed, the anger and the delusions the misunderstandings we hold in our minds which we haven't yet seen perhaps insight liberates you from things so that's the sign that insight is arising when there is a sense of release putting down the burden putting down the attachment to the body and the pain or the sensations coming from it or the pleasures from it as well putting down the grasping in the identification and the mind returns to its insight and just knows that these things are not sure they're not sure what's not sure is not self what changes you can't take as a permanent self so the thing that brings the evenness and the peace to the mind is actually the wisdom the insight that sees things are not sure as far as the external world goes we can't change that very much we can't change what other people do even if they're our closest family member we can't really control them we can't control our own bodies even we can't stop them aging or falling sick sometimes or feeling some pain we can't tr control you know, what the weather's like whether it's hot or cold or wet or dry we can't control all the things of this world and the experiences that come to us. And one of our delusions is that we try to control everything. Try to get more, we say, get more control of my life so I have enough wealth or enough influence that we can make everything just how we like, just how we want. But we can't succeed in that because it's impossible. But we can using a different method bring, bring up mindfulness and know our experiences and know oh, these things are not sure they're uncertain things change nature of pleasure is to change nature of pain is to change body and mind subject to change if you've developed this mindfulness and this wisdom through your meditation this is what brings the mind to this inner state of wisdom where it's knowing the thing, way things are it starts to let go a little bit relax a little bit and that's where we find true peace, true happiness You're letting go of things that we can't control and make go other way we just let go
Yesterday I rang one of the monasteries in Thailand that I know, Ajahn Sopon. He's visited us here a few years ago. Said, how's it going? Because I heard some news that there was a lot of flooding in Thailand. His monastery is an area that gets flooded every year. He said he hasn't got one single square meter of dry land in his monastery at the moment. The only place that isn't underwater is a new stupa he's building, raised above the water. And the second story of some of the buildings which have two stories. So all the monks are living on the second story of their kuti or the lay people are on the second story of the kitchen. Everything else is underwater. So I said, how are you dealing with that? Not sure. Life is uncertain. Nothing you can do beyond your control. I said, can the government help? He said, no. <laughs> the government were the cause. There's a big dam which was going to burst. They had to open the dam, let all the water out. It flooded many, many, many hundreds of square kilometers of central Thailand. Can you get in and out of the monastery? No, just go by boat. Nobody comes, nobody goes. There's some lay people cook the food for the monks. But he seemed quite happy. He just contemplates everything is not sure. Before there was no water, now there's lots of water. In a few weeks maybe there'll be no water again. Not sure. We don't know how much time we have in our lives to practice. We don't know how long we have this opportunity to meditate. You know, today everything is fine. Our health is good. We have our families, our houses. The economy, the society is okay. But we don't know how long that will last. Each individual has their own karma, so we have to accept there's a lot of uncertainty in life. If we don't take our chance, take our opportunity to practice, then it might just slip away from us, or suddenly there's a flood, or there's a problem, and we won't be able to practice. So we should make use of this good opportunity, say just for one day, practice Dhamma, sitting, walking, you know, when you leave the hall to go for walking meditation and you're tempted to just go down to the kitchen to chat, you ask yourself what's more useful today? Practice quiet mindfulness, sitting, walking or chatting with friends. You can go home and chat anytime, but you can't practice mindfulness very easily at home. And when you have your meal, you can eat your meal mindfully quietly reflecting on food just as medicine for the body or you can spend your time socializing and chatting catching up with friends just like on any other day you know, it's up to you to take your opportunity to use your time wisely to practice meditation sitting walking mindfully doing your chores cleaning up and so on you do, the more you do that, and the more you get in good habits that will help you through your daily life. Learning to use your life and your time wisely. It's like that man who died the other day, Steve Jobs, a famous American entrepreneur, he said, 
he reflected on death just before he died because he had cancer for many years. He said, when you're facing death, for sure, he said, you become naked. In the sense, everything else drops away. There's nothing else you can concentrate on. You don't have to think about your achievements and your personality and your wealth and all those other things. They don't matter anymore. It's just the present moment and your state of mind. And this is what meditation is preparing us for in the best possible way. Everybody wants to know how they'll be when they die, or you can know how you'll be the day you die by knowing how you are today. And where is your mind right now? What state of mind do you have? How much awareness and understanding do you have right now? So I'll end this first talk here and for the next half an hour we have a walking meditation session. For those of you who are still unfamiliar with walking meditation, if you'd like to go outside, find a spot on the veranda or in the grounds of the monastery and usually we say pick a spot where you can walk backwards and forwards maybe 10 meters, 15 meters and walk from one end of your imagined walking path from one end to the other mindfully focusing your awareness on the feeling of your feet touching the ground can you feel each step how your foot is pressing down on the ground and you lift up your other leg and your next foot touches the ground if you want to recite Buddha, the mantra, or any other mantra while you're doing that, you can. If you want to contemplate impermanence, just tell yourself every thought that arises as you're walking is not sure. Every sound that you hear is not sure. Sights you see are not sure. You can do that. But just keep contemplating the tip of your feet, the feeling of your feet touching the ground as a way to anchor your mind in the present moment until you hear the bell and then come back in here for the next sitting session. So I'll uh, invite you all now if you'd like to go out and do some walking feel free. <laughs>